I've added a new preaching resource to the website called a Sermon Intake Guide. This is a PDF you can download, print, and clip in a binder to guide your study each week based on notes you take as you listen to the sermon. This resource is available at southsidebaptist.net slash preaching. It is yet one more tool that I pray helps you better hear, study, and apply God's proclaimed word. Today's message is preached from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. God's faithfulness is more than just a theme for this introductory thanksgiving. It is a foundation upon which this entire letter of 1 Corinthians is written. Because God is always faithful, Paul has reason to be thankful, not for what the church in Corinth is currently making of themselves, but for what God has already made of them in Christ by his abundant grace. This message is entitled, God is Faithful. Welcome to the Southside Sermons Podcast. I am Christopher Campbell, pastor of Southside Baptist Church, located in Decatur, Alabama. This message you're about to hear is from God's Word and is offered to you with this prayer that God would give you eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to obey His Word. May your faith be strengthened in Jesus and may you grow in your knowledge of Him. This reading from God's Word, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in Him, in all speech and all knowledge even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. The title of this message is lifted from verse 6. It is that declaration and wonderful truth about God. God is faithful. We sing these words from Lamentations chapter 3. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have needed thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. God is faithful. This means God is trustworthy. God is dependable. God is reliable. This is more than just a theme for this introductory thanksgiving. It is also the foundation upon which this entire letter of 1 Corinthians is written. 
It is what will compel the commands that will come at the end. God is faithful. And like many of the words used to describe God, the word faithful is a relational word. It is a word that is understood as God relates faithfully with his people who are often not dependable, not reliable, not trustworthy. Nevertheless, God is faithful. Whenever scripture uses a word to describe God, we should pay close attention to that word and not pass over it too quickly. As a relational word, that word faithful is saying something about God in relationship to us. It is saying something about God that is not natural to us. Scripture does not waste adjectives. If God is faithful, if this is the word and the revelation about God's character given for this introduction to 1 Corinthians, out of all the other words that could have been used to describe God, what might the scriptures be saying about the audience of this letter as it relates to God? In the singing of the church and the worship of the church, we look for whatever words we can find to describe God, who is indescribable, and praise God, who is worthy of all praise. So we go to our theological thesauruses and pull out all kinds of words. We pull out the word holy, the word righteous, the word worthy, the word faithful, loving, kind, and so on. And every one of those words is true about God. But these words are most meaningful, not when they're chosen to fit a melody or a rhyme but when they praise God for what he is as we consider what we are not without him. Every descriptor of God in scripture is intentionally inspired and purposefully placed right where it is for a reason, as is this word, faithful. That word faithful is saying something about God in relationship to us. It's saying something about God in contradiction to us. Why do you think that there might be a need to reveal this truth about God at the beginning of 1 Corinthians? Is Paul just looking for another way to describe God? If so, he could have chosen a number of other words, but why this word? this text is telling us that God is faithful, what do you think it might be saying about the audience of this text? What do you think it might be saying about us? Paul was inspired to use the word faithful to describe God in relationship to his church. And because God is faithful, Paul has reason to be thankful. Look again at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. I give thanks 
Paul gives ongoing thanks to God. This is the verb eucharisteo. You hear that word eucharist. It describes the action of giving thanks, not to the Corinthians, but to God. This is the kind of thanksgiving that belongs in praise to God alone. And it seems contrary to the events taking place on the ground in Corinth. The church in Corinth is a divided, disturbed, dysfunctional assembly. But you would not know that yet. Because Paul does not begin his letter berating them, rebuking them, or even disciplining them. Instead, he begins by thanking God for them. He doesn't give thanks for what they are currently making of themselves. He gives thanks for what God has already made of them, what God has already given to them, God's actions, God's grace. This is something very helpful for all of us to apply. Start with giving thanks in all circumstances, not because the circumstances themselves are praiseworthy. Many times they're not, but because God is praiseworthy. This is God's will for us. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse 16 says, rejoice always. Verse 17 says, pray without ceasing. And then verse 18 says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That word give thanks is the same word. I don't have to like what I am seeing or experiencing in order to give thanks to God. When I give thanks, I am submitting myself and my situation to God. It's one of the most freeing things that we can do because thanksgiving gives us the right frame of mind to address any challenge before us. Thanksgiving is not reserved only for good times. It is especially reserved for bad times too. In this way, thanksgiving is a gospel proclamation over whatever it is we face. Try this out for yourself and see if this works. Think about something that you are not thankful for, something that you really could do without, and try giving God thanks for it anyway. Watch what happens when you do not to that situation, but to your own soul. It's like Jesus teaching, don't hate your enemies, love them. Pray for those who persecute you. You think that you're blessed in receiving? It's more blessed to give. God's ways are contrary to the ways of the world. And that is how you know something is of God in the world. It goes contrary to what you would expect. Thanksgiving to God may not change your circumstances, but it will transform you. And with thanksgiving, 
you will begin to see that with God, there is a good in all things for those who love God, for those who are called according to God's purpose, Romans 8, 28. Because the one in control of all things and in control of the outcome of all things, the one to whom you're giving thanks is God. And God is faithful. Before diving in to address the church's division and dysfunction, Paul decides to approach those things, not from a perspective of anger, but from a perspective of thanksgiving. He attacks the problem, not from human weakness and emotion, but from a position of strength, appealing to God through the act of thanksgiving recognizing in praise what God has already done and what God is doing and what God will do on the basis of his faithfulness. How many of us who are parents have ever come this close to losing it on our kids for acting foolish? Right before, I did hear one amen, right before we lose all sense of our sanity, we usually pause and say something like, boy, I'm about to, you'd better, if you don't, I'm going to, we can't complete our sentences because we're grasping for a framework to structure what we're about to say. In like manner, Paul is setting a framework so that the end result of what will be his correcting, his rebuking, his disciplining, is instructing. The end result will bear the same fruit in them that he started with, thanksgiving. Here's a principle to test. The place where we start will inform the result. This perspective of thanksgiving will enable Paul to deal with the dysfunction from the right place and for it to be received by the church from the right place, a place of dependence upon God, ascribing praise to the solution at its source. Think about this practically. The starting place influences the ending place. If I discipline my children out of anger, the result of that discipline will be anger. If I get in an argument with my wife out of frustration, the result will be Frustration. If I want the church to give thanks to God, I need to start by giving thanks to God for the church. Wherever we start will affect the result. Paul gives thanks because the first thing that he sees in the church of Corinth is not what they are doing, but what God has already made them to be in Christ Jesus. Verse four again, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. This is the grace acknowledged in verse three. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God has already given the church in Corinth his grace. Church, God has already given us His grace. That's something that has already happened. And God is not one to take back what he has given. 
we like to give things with strings attached so we can yank it back, don't we? We like to loan more than we like to just give so that we can take back. God is not a loaner. God is a giver. God has given us his grace. The church in Corinth, whether they know it yet or not, whether they reflect it yet or not, they are recipients of God's grace, God's favor. And because it is God's grace, it has nothing to do with whether they deserve it or not. We never deserve grace. If we deserve it, it's not grace, whatever it is. And this means as recipients of God's favor, there is something in them worth giving thanks for because God's grace will sustain them and be patient with them and will bear fruit in them because God is faithful. Some people need to hear that spoken over them today. That in Christ, you have much to offer. You have an amazing gift to build up the body of Christ. You have a wonderful relationship in your marriage and in your friendships. None of these things may seem true to you right now, but in Christ, they are by the grace of God. In Christ, when Paul speaks of grace that was given, he's not speaking about what will be given, but what is already given. Part of this work of preaching that I'm performing right now is telling you, the church, what things God has already given to you. Did you know that you can go online and find a website that will tell you if you have any unclaimed property in a state? Don't get on your phone and do it right now. But later today, you can go Google unclaimed property by state. If you have any refunds or money that's owed to you that you didn't know that you had or had just simply forgotten about and you've never claimed it, this website will tell you what you already have, that what already belongs to you so that you can claim it. In a way, this is what Paul is doing. He is informing the church in Corinth about what they already have and what is theirs to claim. This isn't a name it, claim it theology. This is claiming what God has already given to them. God has given you grace. It's yours. You have it in Christ. God has given you peace. We pray for peace, but we already have it in Christ. If you don't have grace and peace, you don't have Christ, for he is the source of both. It is all given, Paul says, in Christ Jesus. One more comment on this phrase, whenever you see it, in Christ Jesus, or in Christ, or in Jesus. This grace that was given in Christ Jesus was given to the church, sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all those who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Being in Christ does not mean merely that you have a personal relationship with Jesus. It means that you have 
also a communal relationship with Christ as part of his church. Notice the word our, theirs. For decades, we have pleaded that you have a personal relationship with Jesus. And that's good, but it's not complete. For we are to have a personal relationship with Jesus that is part of a community that is known as his church. Our personal relationship with Jesus doesn't mean very much if it stays personal. Our personal relationship with Jesus is meant to be communal. That means shared by all in a community, in what our text will tell us is a fellowship of faith. If you don't have grace and peace, it may be that you don't have Christ personally. It may also be that you aren't where Christ is, where two or three are gathered in his name with his church. The phrase in Christ Jesus always means more communally than it does individually. Simply put, you can never ever say, I am in Christ, but not in his church. To be in Christ is to be in his church. And your presence will reflect that. Paul consistently, consistently speaks of the community when he speaks of being in Christ. Using words like their, ours, not speaking of individuals, but of the body of Christ, his church. God's Grace to his church is evident everywhere that they look, as they look back at what God has done in the past, as they look present at what God is now doing, and as they look ahead at what God will do. God's grace is evident whichever way that they look. First, as they look back at what God has already done for them in the past, look with me at verse 5. That in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge. Who was enriched? You singularly? You individually? No, you together. The you is plural here. The you is the church. That word, you were enriched or You were made rich speaks of wealth or abundance of something. And that abundance did not come from within them, but from outside of themselves. It was given them. Someone gave this abundance to them. Who made them rich? Christ. That in every way you were enriched, underline those two words, in him. That in him is important. Take away Christ and we have nothing. Take away Christ and even what we do have is absolutely and utterly worthless. Christ is not stingy, but favors his church in every way. Meaning in every way that we have need of God's grace, God gives us that grace. Specifically, Paul writes that the church has been enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. God makes us wealthy in what we need to do what he has for us to do. We have an abundance of what we need to be witnesses for Christ in the world. God does not give us a credit card 
where we spend from what we do not have and have to pay it back. God gives us a debit card where we spend from what he has already deposited. I was watching a video listing the top five things that most millionaires do. And I was surprised to see that near the top of that list was that most millionaires check their bank account. Apparently, many people never check their bank account and simply don't know how much money they have or what is happening with it. God is revealing through Paul what is already in the Corinthians bank account. In view here is not material wealth or money, property, Gulfstream, private jets or mansions. None of these things are necessary to be a witness for Christ in the world. But what is necessary? What is in the church's account at Abundant Grace Bank in Christ? Well, verse 5 says, all speech and all knowledge, literally all word and all knowledge. G. Campbell Morgan says it this way. He says, they were enriched with a deposit to be declared. They were given what they needed to give away. They were given the word, the testimony of Christ, and the knowledge to understand it and make it known. Riches in Christ are not identified ever by what is kept. Riches in Christ are identified by what is given away. Wealth in Christ is not what we store in. Wealth in Christ is what we send out. As someone has said, the size of a church should not be determined in our seating capacity, but in our sending capacity. Are we making much of Christ with the gospel that we have received and believed? Are we obeying what word and knowledge we have been given in abundance, using those gifts to build up the church and make disciples of Jesus Christ? God has already graced his church with speech and knowledge. In verse six and seven says, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift. Let me read that again. So that you are not lacking in any gift. Let me say that one more time. So that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. God confirmed the word that they received and their knowledge of Christ by bestowing upon them gifts, grace gifts. The word for grace is charis. The word for gift is charisma. These are grace gifts, the spiritual gifts, the gifts of God for his church. And looking now, not backward to the past, but to the present, Paul proclaims that in Christ, they're not lacking anything. They're not lacking any gift. They have everything that is necessary. Practically, you and I look around and we identify things that we want in this church, things that we might think we need in this church. But God has given his church everything that is necessary so that we do not lack. Do you believe that? If we perceive a lack, we're not checking our spiritual bank account. We're not looking at things with spiritual eyes. Every believer in Christ 
is gifted in some way. And you may ask, well, what is my spiritual gift? And you will only find that answer in the context of the church. It will become evident as you use that gift and as the church is strengthened and built up. We all need each other. It's not just a cute saying. It's a theological fact. And one that we can find comfort in as we look not to our past, not only to our present, but also to the future. Look with me at verse seven. So that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. As you wait, that's future grace. God gives us grace for waiting, for the revealing, for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. The gifts that God gives his church now are glimpses of what will be fully realized in glory as we eagerly wait for Christ's return. We will eagerly desire to make much of Christ serving his church. We will unite around what is most important, keeping busy on mission, and there will be little opportunity for disunity and division when we think that way. Look at verse eight. Paul goes on to say, who will sustain you to the end? guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God will sustain you. Jesus will sustain his church to the end. The church will never go away. If the spirit of God dwells within you by faith, the spirit of God will see us through to the end. Guiltless, that word is blameless, And blameless is needed because the scripture references the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. It will be a day of judgment. How will you fare on the day of judgment? If God were to judge you right now, would you be found blameless before him? Would you be innocent or guilty before God? Would you be welcomed into everlasting life in heaven or condemned to eternal destruction in hell? We all have sinned against God. We all deserve death, but on the cross, Jesus washed all sin away by paying for it in full with his own death in our place by becoming the judged one in our place. And by his burial and resurrection, we are no longer called sinners. Paul did not say to the church of God, to the sinners in Corinth. Although perhaps he could have. But that's not who they are because of what Christ has done for them on the cross. They're saints in him. We're no longer known by what we have done, by but what God has done for us in Christ. God has favored us and made us blameless in Christ. And as God has been faithful in the past and is faithful in the present, God will be faithful in the end. You can rest secure, not in yourself, not in ourselves, but in Christ who calls us, who has called us. This is the gospel message. 
1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. You are not only called saints, but you are called into fellowship. Faithfulness is relational. And God's faithfulness is seen supremely in the relationship that he has with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. God did not abandon Jesus to the grave. God did not abandon Jesus to death. But God raised Christ from the dead, which means God's faithfulness has a past, a present, and a future. And my future is bound to our future, which is bound to Christ, not in my worthiness, but in God's loving grace. In these six verses that we have focused on today, Jesus is referred to six times. One time for each verse, five times by name. From the very beginning of this letter in verse one, all the way to what we have read, verse nine. Christ is mentioned in every verse. Go check me on this. If you have the scripture journal, underline or circle every time you see Christ or him referring to Christ. Every verse. Christ is mentioned for every situation. Christ is sufficient for every part of our lives. We're still in the introduction to this letter. And what's becoming very clear is that this introduction is an invitation to know this Christ. For without Jesus, this letter will mean nothing to us. Without Jesus, we cannot know God's faithfulness. Without Jesus, we have nothing to be thankful for. Thank you again for listening to this message. I pray that God would accomplish His purpose in you through the preaching, hearing, receiving, and believing of His Word. If you wish to share any comments or questions about the message you have heard, please call Southside at 256-353-8814 or visit us on the web at southsidebaptist.net. Also, make sure to subscribe or follow this podcast to receive a new message each week.